0: Hello, I am Bob Mooney. I am a Bible teacher in the local body of Christ, and I have been an interim pastor of a home church for a number of years. I hope you find these Bible lessons a blessing and of practical value. Well, this is our third lesson in studying 1 John. And in our last lesson, we saw that John in his letter as well as in his gospel, deals with absolutes, light and darkness, truth and lies, true believers and false teachers. John, in a loving pastoral way, brings the sword of the Spirit to the church to cut away the false teachings of the day. He does this not by bringing judgment, but to bring correction and clarity to the church so they will know they have eternal life. So many of today's issues in our culture are there not because of the amount of overwhelming darkness, but they're there because of the lack of light coming from the church. Oh, may God bring his division to his church today. Well, today in our third lesson, we're going to look and see who Serenthus was, and we're also going to look at the word of life. Cerinthus was John's principal opponent. Polycarp was an early church father and a disciple of John. He told the story of John and his disciples going into a public bathhouse in Ephesus. When he saw Sorinthus there, John cried out to his disciples, Let us fly, for Cerinthus, the enemy of faith, is here. Let us fly, lest the roof of the bathhouse come down on us. This episode today would be like me going to the local YMCA and seeing one of the elders of the Jehovah Witnesses in the pool. And I cry out, let us fly for the local elder of the Jehovah Witnesses is is here. Let us fly lest the roof falls down on us. How extreme, how bigoted, how intolerant, how judgmental the world would say today that I would be if I said those things. But John wrote in 2 John 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. We need to understand that Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons are modern day Gnostics and their doctrine of Christ. In the verse I just read, this teaching is in reference to the hypostatic union, that Jesus is both human and divine. Most Christians today would probably not stay long in a church pastored by any of the original apostles. As I said in an earlier lesson, John would certainly not be considered politically correct in today's society. It just goes to show how far many churches have drifted from biblical standards. So who was this Serentis? And what is Serenthianism? Serentis' main error was that he separated the man Jesus from the divine Christ. Serentis taught that Christ descended upon Jesus after his baptism and departed from him before his death. John asserts that on the contrary, Jesus Christ, one person, passed through both baptism and death. According to Irenaeus, an early church father, wrote in his book Against Heresies, Serenthus, and I quote, represented Jesus as having not been born of a virgin, but as being the son of Mary and Joseph, according to the ordinary course of human generation. While he nevertheless was more righteous, prudent and wise than other men. Moreover, after his baptism, Christ descended upon him in the form of a dove from the supreme ruler, and that then he proclaimed the unknown father and before miracles. But at last Christ departed from Jesus, rose again, while Christ remained impassable, that is, not liable to pain or injury, insomuch as he was a spiritual being. And we will end this section on Serenthus with this life lesson. What we believe determines how we behave. As we will see later, Serenthus' doctrine led to a lifestyle of sin. Well, let's turn our focus now to the word of life. And again, our text comes from 1 John 1-4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Well, let's break down and uncover some truths in these verses. And starting with verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. And in verse 1, from the beginning, in Greek it is arche, and it means the source. Here, what came from the divine source itself, it is what John saw, heard, and touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Word here is logos. It means word, reason, essence, the principle. It is most often used to refer to God's word, the written word, the Bible. Life here is the Greek word zoe. And I'd like to take a minute and draw a distinction between the word zoe, which means life, And bios, which also can mean life. You see, bios is where we get the word, part of the word, biography, biology. It is that part of life which can be recorded, written down. But that's not what John was referring to here. The word zoe is God's life. The life we have in and because of Christ. It's life in its fullest. It is not what can be recorded in a sense. And put your finger on it. Verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Eternal means everlasting. In essence, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke 12, 21, the last half of the verse, For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Paul defines the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 7, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So eternal life, the kingdom of God, it is something we are Because of what the Lord planted in our hearts when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Eternal life starts the moment we accept Jesus and it continues for all eternity. It doesn't start when we die. Heaven is inside of us. Heaven is having an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ and all that that entails. In verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia, it means fellowship, communion, and intimate relationship. John is saying here that since we have fellowship, an intimate relationship, with the Father and His Son, then we share that fellowship, that koinonia, with other believers. In verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. Complete here means full. It can't get any fuller, and it can't be diminished or added to. So let me ask this, what is real life? According to 1 John 1.1, it is this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. As believers, we have life in greater quantity. The word of life says that you can have everlasting life. We can also have life in greater quality. As I pointed out in an earlier lesson, eternal life is not just something we look forward to when we either die or the Lord returns. Eternal life is something that we, as believers, start experiencing the moment we become born again. It is living the zoe, the life of God in us. As we embark on this adventurous life, we must learn to develop this life by allowing the implanted seed of God in our hearts to grow and mature by maintaining the koinonia, that intimate fellowship with the Father through His Son and with other believers. Well, how do we get this real eternal life? We see this in verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In him, the eternal has become the historical. That is to say, John heard, saw, and touched the real, live, in the flesh, Son of God, walk this earth. The word of life has been passed on through the ages through those who have received that life. We see this in verse three. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And John goes on to say in verse four, we write this to make our joy complete. This is the fellowship of joy. This is not delight in things or people. Although in moderation, there's nothing wrong with delight in these things. But joy is the delight in the Lord. As believers, we must have the correct view of who Jesus was and who he is. We must see and believe that he literally walked this earth as both human and divine. And having the correct relationship with Jesus is the only way to have an intimate relationship with the Father. And when we have this intimate relationship, we will then have an intimate one with other believers. And also out of this intimate relationship, we will have a moral change in our life. We've spent more time than I usually spend on only these four verses, but it's like a house being built. The foundation is laid and perhaps a basement dug. Then after the subfloor is laid, the structure shoots up rapidly. It's the same here, too. We need a firm foundation on which to learn and understand, no more so than here. It often takes time to build such a foundation, but it is well worth the time. And in these four verses lies the foundation of what John builds on through this epistle. John writes as a loving father and pastor, obviously caring deeply for his flock. He wants the church to know they have eternal life in Christ Jesus. He wanted to warn them about those who wanted to come and steal it away from them. He wanted their faith to be built upon nothing but the truth of the gospel. He gives us four tests to see if people are true Christians. The historical, the theological, the moral, and the social tests. Either you pass these tests or not. There is no middle ground. And finally, we looked at Sorenthus and the Gnostics, those who didn't pass the theological test. They did not believe that Jesus was both both human and divine. They were much like modern religions of today. We need to keep these things in mind as we move forward with our study, and hopefully they will be made clearer. So let's tighten our seatbelts for it promises to be an adventurous ride. I hope you have been blessed by this message. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at r.mooney@carolina.rr.com. At and thank you for listening.